The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Is Christopher Mayer. Uh, he is the author of a new book called World Right Side Up, Investing Across Six Continents. Uh, Christopher is also the editor of the Capital and Crisis uh, newsletter, <clears throat> also um, Mayer's Special Situations, uh, which is published by Agora Publishing. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jordan. <clears throat> I gave some of your background briefly, but just do a little bit more on your background even before you got to the newsletters and, and what you do now in addition to doing this book. Yeah, before I got into newsletters, I was in commercial banking for about a decade, and uh, that was a good run. I got out at about 2004, so this was before things started to peak and get crazy, and then we all know what happened after that. Um, so I've been, I started Capital and Crisis in 2004, and basically been doing a lot of traveling around the world and looking for investment opportunities, and uh, that's what I do full time now. What is special about your newsletter? I mean, what kind of investments uh, are you typically recommending that people would see if they get that newsletter? Yeah, a lot of the ideas you'll see are more uh, out-of-the-way ideas, so I'm not recommending necessarily the, the blue chips that you know about and the Dow Jones and, uh, and so forth. So uh, I, I recommend a lot of sort of mid-cap-ish companies. A lot of times I meet the companies. I'm, I go out there and, and kick the tires, so to speak. Uh, and so I also have a kind of unique recipe that I really focus on. I use the acronym CODE to describe it. And the key elements are I'm looking for things that are cheap. Um, the O is for owner-operator, which is the big one, which is that we like to invest in companies where the management team is also a significant shareholder. And I think that's very important. Uh, D is for good disclosures, and E is for excellent financial conditions. So we put all those things together, and we have a, a not not a very big universe of stocks, really, when it comes down to it. And right now, the portfolio has about maybe 14 names in it. So, uh-huh. so in the beginning of your book, you talk about the world right side up. Just kind of give us an overview of uh, the, the, the situation for global investors. I mean, it seems at the moment that uh, fear is, is taking hold and people are not willing to take risks of exotic investments in various countries that they might think would be dangerous, like... You know, Colombia and other places. Right. But, but give us a kind of a sense, particularly going forward, what kind of overall opportunity is available uh, in the emerging markets before we get into some of the specifics? Yeah, well, I think what you say is true. Right now, there's a lot of fear. And in fact, I just, uh, within a week, I was, came back from an 11 day trip in Peru. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting when you go outside of the country for a while and you go to a growing emerging market like Peru. Peru is one of the fastest growing. Uh, markets in South America, uh, and then you come back here, and it's just very different—the feel and the and what the newspapers say, and 
Um, so I think I always get a little more optimistic when I leave, and then when I come back, you get hit with these bad headlines again. But mm-hmm. the essential idea behind Worldwide Setup is that we have all these uh, emerging markets, and everybody knows about the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, but there are also another whole tier of markets that are joining the global marketplace in a way that uh, they haven't for uh, several decades. So this creates a lot of opportunities in everything from energy to just consumer goods as these different markets come on, as middle cl- middle class expands. And I really think we're in a pretty uh, – we're in a unique phase in history where we'll we see so many of these markets coming online at the same time. It's pretty exciting to be an investor if you have a, a longer-term orientation. One of the uh, areas you talk about in your first chapter is uh, commodity prices and how commodities have risen so much over the last few years. Uh, now, lately, that's turned around. Commodities have actually been falling pretty sharply the last month or so. Uh, is this a, a pause in a long-term cycle, or is this a major uh, downturn in, in the whole commodity cycle? Well, I think that as far as price increases go, I don't know that we're going to see uh, the same kind of big increases that we saw in the last decade in real terms. Uh, but with inflation and all, we'll still, I think commodity prices will probably continue to rise. But the bigger story there is just to look at uh, commodity usage. And so there's a chart in the book I include which shows, for example, a long-term uh, demand for copper over the last century. And it's just one gradually upward sloping line. And so while there's a lot of booms and busts in commodities, of course, through the pricing, I think we can confidently say that uh, our usage of a lot of these commodities is going to go up, especially with increasing urbanization and a lot of these foreign markets, more people moving into the cities, and it's going to need more steel and more of this and that. And, and so that kind of opportunity, I think, is still good. But you have to be pretty careful and selective in commodities because it's very volatile. And uh, when we go through periods like now, I mean, it can be very painful holding on to these holding on to these companies. But longer term, I think it's probably still a good opportunity. So you think that the markets are overreacting? Uh, are they specifically overreacting to uh, the Greek situation and the fear of deflation? And uh, well, well, I think when it comes to commodities, I think the big big driver there is China, because China is such a large consumer of a long list of commodities. China consumes something like half of the world's iron ore, for example, a large chunk of its coal. And and so when you see a slowdown in China, which is what we're seeing, then you're going to have a lot of people get scared. For example, uh, there was a headline today about China buyers deferring certain raw material cargoes of iron ore and coal. Uh, And so you know, that's going to have an impact on prices. That's going to get everyone spooked. And so I think when it comes to commodity markets specifically, China is the big one to watch. So what is your out, a long-term outlook for China as a consumer of commodities? Is this just a temporary dip, or are they going to start picking up their demand again? What is your view on China? I think, I think, for the, I think longer term, if we just look out five years, China will be a much bigger economy than it is now. But I do think that they're, they're due to have some kind of slowdown. If you look at uh, you know, their property markets have gotten pretty overheated, they've put a lot of government money towards uh, infrastructure projects, and I don't think that is a sustainable growth rate there either. So I, I think we'll have some near-term pain, and uh, longer term, we'll be okay. I mean, my, the way I'm doing it, in, the way I'm playing it in our portfolio is we have certain core commodity names that we're going to hold through this because we believe that they're 
have strong balance sheet and low costs and and they will maintain their strength through the cycle but we've shed a lot of names um, some of the more weaker names going into this because I do think that it could be a pretty rough patch for the next say oh year or two while we're on this topic give me your sense of the impact of what's happening in Europe on worldwide economic growth and therefore stock markets uh, yeah well I think you know the look at the uh, the headlines. The EU headlines seem to drive the market up and down, depending on how things go. But I think we're going to live with this EU crisis for a while yet. I mean, Spain things in Spain are pretty bad. Uh, Greek, I think, you know, a lot of the Greek situation is baked in, but you still have very big problems in the EU, and that's and it's not going to be something that can be easily solved. So I think we're looking at two. Two possible scenarios. One is the end of the European Monetary Union with a breakup of some of these peripheral states, or uh, we look at a major devaluation in the euro. So, in either case, you're looking at a very large market, which would be the EU, um, having uh, or going into a recession. So, that's going to affect everything. I mean, uh, the EU is one of China's largest customers, for example. Um, so, you know, this I think is going to weigh on the market still, at least for the rest of this year, for sure, and probably into next year. So, how would you invest based on if you think that Europe's going to go into recession? Are there some things that would benefit from that, or, or ways to profit from that? Uh, there's not. I don't say there's anything really um, necessarily a way to benefit directly. I mean, I think there are some ideas. There's one idea that I like that um, is a company that basically buys distressed debt. So if you look at the European banks, they're going to unload probably, well, it's in the trillions, trillions of dollars of bad debt they're going to have to sell. So this is property and other things they have to recapitalize. And that's going to create an opportunity for buyers to pick up distressed property. So I think there could be a big opportunity there. Now, you have to keep in mind, too, that a European bank might have property in the U.S., and they may be forced to sell to raise capital to shore up their own balance sheet. So it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to buy property in, the Europe, in, the, in Europe, but you can uh, wind up with property in the U.S. So there's a company called Kennedy Wilson that I like a lot that does this exact thing. Um, and they've done it for a while, and I think there'll be a big opportunity to pick up distressed debt from the EU banks. So this by real estate debt and, and uh Loans on their balance sheet at big discounts, is that the idea? That's the idea, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, now, you talk in your book about super cycles. We talked a little bit about the um, uh, the commodity super cycle. What are some other super cycles that would be driving uh, long-term demand in emerging markets? Well, I think we have a big super cycle with the number of people we would call middle class with certain purchasing power that they're uh, looking to buy things like cars and refrigerators and and a lot of the things we take for granted. So there is, I think there is a big super cycle on that, particularly in Asia. And um, so when you look at things like automobile sales are, are strong across that region still, uh, that would be one example of one that I like a lot. But, you know, there are some other super cycles. I think there's probably super cycle uh, starting with international real estate. Um, you're going to see uh, as these different emerging markets take off, one of the things that that right away will will go up in price will be a lot of the real estate in downtown areas and the business districts, and so um, there'll be opportunities there as they 
expand their need for office property and warehouse space and all the rest. Um, there's always going to be there's a big super cycle, I think, in financial services because you have a lot of people who are, are just now using uh, banks and financial services in a meaningful way in emerging markets. So these are some of the things I think will be uh, big drivers going forward. You also talk about the world economy being more open than ever before. Uh, is this because the countries want to attract foreign capital and therefore they're improving their disclosures and you can trust their numbers more? Because that seems to be a problem whenever you're investing in emerging markets is that the, you can't trust the numbers in many cases. Well, um, yeah, I think the world is more open than ever before, and I think that probably surprises a lot of people. If you look at the percent of, of, of uh, the world economy that is due to trade, uh, countries are trading with each other more than ever before, and I think that's just part of a long trend towards uh, reducing tariffs and being more open towards foreign investment. I mean, there's just think about in the last 50 years, uh, you know, there were huge parts of the world that were basically closed. I mean, Russia and China and uh, large parts of Africa and, and so on, and these places now are attracting billions and billions of dollars of investment. So that helps drive that number. But as towards trusting the numbers, I think that, too, depends kind of on the market. Um, I think that, you know, when even when it comes to a U.S. market, you can't necessarily trust the numbers so much. So, uh, you know, we've had a lot of instances of that. So, um, I don't know that that gap is as wide as it as it was. Uh, you know, some some of these markets. I mean, China is a is a is a market where yeah, you have to be very very careful trusting the numbers there. And there's been all kinds of accounting irregularities, particularly with companies listing on the Nasdaq. But certain other markets, I don't know. It, you know, it really depends on company. The company, um, some of the disclosures can be even better than their peers in the U.S. because they know they have to sort of clear this extra hurdle in some cases. Okay, we're, we've got to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christopher Mayer. Uh, he is the author of a new book called World Right Side Up: Investing Across Six Continents. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host. 
as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christopher Mayer. Uh, He is the author of a newsletter called Capital and Crisis and another one called Mayer's Special Situations. He's just come out with a new book called World Right Side Up. Investing across six continents. Welcome back to the show, Chris. All right, thanks. Uh, let's just go right into some of the countries that you find attractive, and the first one's probably a big surprise to a lot of people, uh, which is Colombia. Uh, people think of it as uh, drug lords and everybody getting shot left and right. So, <laughs> tell us the reality of what it's like and what some of the opportunities are in Colombia. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was an interesting market to go to. I, you know, to go to uh, Medellin, for example, and to think that you know only 20 years ago this was. Uh, Pablo Escobar's uh, stronghold, or maybe it was a little more than 20 years ago now. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the maybe the consensus opinion on Colombia. But the reality on the ground is that it's uh, pretty safe in the cities. I was in Medellin and Bogota. Um, security is very tight there, as I write about in the book. Um, but you know, this is a market that. Uh, Finally, is uh, coming on to its own. They have a lot of natural resources, particularly oil, and um, that's really driving their economy. They're becoming a large producer of oil. Um, then there's a lot of other uh, opportunities there. Gold is another big uh, um, area that's attracting a lot of investment, and they also have this growing middle class, which is kind of a theme throughout a lot of these markets. And so, there are a number of market, the number of companies there to that uh, are interesting plays on that, everything from banks to uh, um, grocery retailers. You could talk about the new El Dorado. Uh, what are you referring to specifically in Colombia that's the new El Dorado? Yeah, the new El Dorado refers to basically the uh, the gold mining boom that's going on there. And so you have to remember that for a long time, uh, basically the jungles and the areas outside the city were in the control of the rebels and drug lords and things like that. And now that the government has those areas uh, more in control, now you have investment flowing into these areas, basically where there hasn't been any drilling for gold going on for decades. So it's relatively untouched. And, uh, you know, there are some interesting companies there, some pretty speculative mining ventures that could pay off pretty big. So, what are some of your specific uh, companies that you like in the gold well, area in Colombia? Yeah, well, one that I one that I talk about in the book is Grand Colombia, and they have about uh, they're in an old gold mining district. They have a uh, uh, more than ten million ounces of gold, sixty million ounces of silver. They've got a lot of gold and silver there, um, and so I think that if they can make that one work, that's one that will pay off big time. I think uh, it's very cheap when you look at what you're getting. Uh, and gold in the ground, and based on uh, their predicted uh, increases in production over the years. So, you know, that's one that's interesting. A lot of these stocks are not traded on the New York Stock Exchange, right? In this, this case, I think it's the yeah, Toronto Exchange. Yeah, trades in Toronto. That's right. But So that's easy for people to buy. But are some of these stocks only traded on local exchanges and 
Yeah, not, some of these will be hard. Some of these are harder. I mean, a lot of the oil companies are easy to buy. You can buy, uh, you know, some of the big ones like Pacific Rubialis and Petro Mineralis are on the Toronto Exchange. Uh, Grand Tierra trades in, in the American exchanges. Um, there are a few other. Oil is probably the easiest way to play. Uh, some of the Columbia names. They're all free liquid. There's also a, an ETF um, that can get you exposure to a bunch of companies. What is and, that ETF for? For Columbia specifically, you mean? Yeah, for Columbia specifically. And I believe, um, I don't remember what the ticker is for that. For that, It's in the book, but I don't remember. Uh-huh. You, you're, you're potentially calling Columbia the best economy in Latin America. Is, is that, you're still, you're thinking that now? Yeah, and one of the reasons why I believe that is that they are very friendly to investment and very uh, open to business. So if you contrast that with a market that everyone else seems to love would be like, say, look at Brazil. Um, Brazil is a very difficult place to do business. If you look at the World Bank ratings, which I, I like to look at, and their ease of doing business surveys, I mean, Brazil usually does very poorly on that. I mean, Rwanda is easier to do business in. Um, but Colombia, by contrast, is, and they're pretty open, and uh, and there are best, there are, meaning U.S., they are our best friend in, in South America, so um, they're happy to see us. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that might worry people about is they're next to Venezuela, which is as opposite as you can get to being investor-friendly. <laughs> That's right. Is, is that a, a, a negative influence on Columbia or not something to worry about? Um, yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about, really. I think, uh, I mean, if you're thinking, um, I mean, some of the concerns can be, for example, that that border tends to be pretty porous, and some of the uh, unsavory elements kind of pass back and forth. But, I mean, you don't have to necessarily travel out by the border of Venezuela or do business out there. So I think that's probably okay. And besides, I would say the military capabilities of Colombia far exceed Venezuela if, if something should happen. Because <laughs> there have been other countries in Latin America that have actually expropriated American property and oh, yes. Ecuador and other places. So it, it, it sounds like it's more unusual because things have been, to some extent, going the other direction in Latin America. I mean, I guess Chile is pretty capitalistic. Brazil is. But... Other countries well, I have been think going Brazil, more left I mean, Brazil has had some had some things happen too that aren't. I mean, they, I don't think I can't recall any outright confiscation, but I mean, they've uh, Brazilian government bullies its its companies around pretty uh, pretty heavily. I mean, Argentina, of course, has had nationalization, and Bolivia would seem to be a pretty dangerous place to be. Ecuador, you mentioned. I think the uh, I mentioned in the book. There's a the integration between Colombia, Peru. Uh, and Chile is pretty interesting, and it's called Mila, M-I-L-A. Um, but basically, they're integrating those markets together, so that eventually, you know, it would be easy for you just to buy uh, a stock in Colombia Exchange and or the Lima Exchange or the Chilean Exchange, just as if you know they were all part of one market. And I think usually when these re- regional integrations happen, some good things also happen and liquidity increases a lot and, and gets more attention valuations tend to get a little better so I think those three countries in South America would be the ones that uh, that I would uh, tend to focus on Colombia Peru and Chile uh, you talk about Brazil you have a chapter on Brazil even though there's some problems there there's still a lot of potential there what, what is your outlook for investing in Brazil yeah, I mean Brazil is attractive because it's the giant it's the giant in South America and they have uh, <clears throat> enormous uh, land and the ability to produce uh, food. 
they also have a lot of resources and oil. Um, so uh, I think that Brazil is attractive kind of just looking at it from a big-picture point of view, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty of actually investing there, I think it can be more difficult. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of uh, Petrobras, um, which uh, labors under a lot of debt and has a huge capital expenditure plan, and, and the government is very heavy-handed with those companies. Volley is the other. Um, I think they have some credit problems developing in their housing market. So I would be particularly careful in Brazil. I think uh, the best opportunities in Brazil would be something that simply just uh, plays on the um, rising middle class there because they also have a lot more um, suddenly middle class people with a lot more discretionary spending power. So just the traditional, just the usual basic things, um, you know, a company I've been looking at, for example, is Arcos Dorados, which has the McDonald's franchise in South America. That's kind of That would be more an idea that I think would be attractive from a big-picture point of view than some of the more well-known mining names or resource names. You also have a chapter on Nicaragua, which would also probably surprise people since it doesn't have a particularly good reputation as investor-friendly. What, what's going on in Nicaragua that might be interesting to investors now? Well, Nicaragua, I've been going to Nicaragua. I've been there probably six times. I've taken my family there twice on, on uh, vacations. It's a great place to go. It's, it's cheap. Uh, people are very friendly, and there's some beautiful beaches there that are practically untouched on the Pacific coast. So uh, real estate is the main play there. Um, you know, if you're interested in looking at beachfront property, there's some interesting places there. But otherwise, it's a great place to go on vacation. There's a development that my publisher owns called Rancho Santana and I've been down there a bunch of times and you know you can just go down there and rent a house you don't have to buy but it's a you know, it's just a it's a neat place to see and great place to go for vacation and how about for investing in stocks what are some of the uh, real estate plays in, in stocks down there well the only, the only there aren't really much you can do stock market wise I mean there's a gold company B2 Gold which is the largest exporter of gold in Nicaragua and that's a pretty good uh, company and the stock's done really well over the last couple of years, and most most gold stocks have not been doing uh, so well. But um, that's really your only opportunity in public markets. And then another one is um, uh, Costa Rica, which has been been popular. They've been open to investors. What is your outlook on investing in Costa Rica in, in their stock market? Uh, I think that the way I look at Nicaragua is actually uh, – kind of has some potential to be closer to what Costa Rica is. I think you look at Costa Rica as what's possible. But I think Costa Rica is more late than I would uh, be interested in. I'm not particularly interested in Costa Rica. I would rather, if I was going to invest in Central America, I think I would um, I would instead focus on Nicaragua. I say, okay. And then since you just came back from Peru, what is your view on Peru and what are some of the opportunities there? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going through that now, looking through a lot of my my notes and thinking about it, I mean, uh, Peru is another resource story. They've got uh, there's a lot of money coming there for gold and copper, uh, but I think there's other other opportunities there in infrastructure. You look at things like just the water infrastructure or roads, uh, and there's opportunities there. I think there, there's a Peruvian cement company that I'm taking a look at. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these opportunities are similar in this part of the world. They're all going to need kind of the same kind of things. And the the big thing 
is the resource story sort of dominates it because if you look at South America as a whole, I think something like 25% of all worldwide exploration spending and and uh, and mining is, is slated for South America. So there's a lot that spins off of that, you know, drillers and, and things like that. Will the uh, Olympics and World Cup in Brazil next few years have a major impact on positively on, on Latin America? I don't think so. Uh, a lot of people think that might, but I, I just don't see that as being having much of an impact on uh, these economies, which are obviously much, much bigger than, uh, you know, what the Olympics will bring. I mean, what the Olympics will bring will bring some, uh, maybe some attention, and certainly there'll be a little spurt uh, down there as far as spending goes, but I don't, I don't think it will change uh, my views on South America one way or the other. Very good. There's a lot of hype around us. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're sure. going to go to break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christopher Mayer. Uh, he is the author of a new book called World Right Side Up, Investing Across Six Continents. He's also an investor, uh, writes a newsletter called Capital in Crisis and Mayer's Special Situations, published by Agora Publishing. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, my guest this hour is Christopher Mayer. Uh, he is the author of a new book called World Right Side Up, Investing Across Six Continents. He's also the author of two newsletters, Capital and Crisis, and Mayer's Special Situations. Uh, Chris, tell them how they can uh, find uh, websites for both the book and your newsletters. Sure. Well, we have a website for the book called worldrightsideup.com, and you can go there and find out more about the book, including excerpts and reviews and things like that. And for the newsletters, I'd encourage people to go to dailyreckoning.com, which is a free e-letter, free daily e-letter. And so uh, I'm a columnist there, and they can um, see more of my 
my work there and learn more about the newsletters for free. Great. Okay, let's go to China next. And you talk about China as crisis and opportunity in the Middle Kingdom. Um, it is growing a lot, but there are political issues there as well. What should people? What What is the crisis and what is the opportunity in China? And what are some things that you do like to invest in there? Yeah, I, I, China is one of the longer chapters in the book. It's uh, a very complicated place <laughs> and a very big place, of course. So there's lots and lots of uh, pitfalls. I. Uh, as I talk about in the book, I would have, I would pretty much avoid the U.S. listings of the China-based stocks because, um, I mean, even the people there have a hard time figuring out, you know, what's real and what isn't. Um, some of the best ways I think to invest in China would be more indirectly. So, for example, uh, I no longer recommend this stock, but as an example, there's a company called A.O. Smith, which makes water heaters and filters. And they have a business in China. It's a U.S. company listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It has a sizable U.S. business, but it also has this business in China. It's been growing 25% a year for, I think, a decade. Uh, so those would be that would be kind of the preferred way. I mean, China has some definite needs. They they have a, a part of the crisis opportunity was, for example, is around water, and they have um, severe water quality issues. And so companies that can help solve or provide solutions to that problem, I think we'll have a lot of opportunities. What would be an example of a water-oriented company? Well, in addition to A.O. Smith, another one I like is Hyflux, which is a company uh, based in Singapore. Hyflux basically builds and, and maintains water desalination plants. So, you know, turning seawater into fresh water is one possible solution. And uh, I think they have a lot of opportunities in China. So high flux is one that I like. You also say that coal prices are going to soar uh, because they're such big users of coal. I thought that they were building a huge amount of nuclear plants in China, and they're going to try to de-emphasize coal. What, what is the deal with coal? Yeah, I think they pretty much need everything. <laughs> they have an ambitious nuclear program. Uh, most of their industry is, is coal-based. So, you know, now we have... Uh, Coal prices have actually have come down quite a bit, and I think that's directly attributable to, attributable to the slowdown in China. Um, so I'm not invested in coal directly now, but I think um, you know there are other there are other ideas sort of tied to that. Uh, for example, uh, methanol is a is kind of like their ethanol. It's what they use to mix with gasoline, mm-hmm. and, and methanol is a I think is a pretty good opportunity, especially uh, because a lot of the China-based methanol producers make it from coal, and we have an advantage in the U.S. in producing it with natural gas prices, which are even cheaper. So there are some things around coal like that, but right now, otherwise, I'm uh, I'm sitting out the coal question. How would you play with methanol? Well, the best way is on a company called Methanex, and that's listed here in the U.S., easy to buy. Uh, the ticker is MEOH. It pays a pretty good dividend. Uh, pretty solid company, so I like that one. You have a, a section about the uh, Kaibai gold market. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and, and what is the impact of Chinese buying on the gold uh, price worldwide? Well, it was great to see the uh, Kaibai gold market. I mean, it's basically a large building. I think it was three floors, maybe it was four, and... Um, when we were there, it was just completely busy, and people buying gold 
hand over fist, gold figurines, gold coins, even uh, gold bars. It was funny because uh, one of the guys I was with wanted to buy a, a small small gold bar. I forget you know whether it was an ounce or something like that. And he uh, wanted to pay using his American credit card, and they wouldn't take it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Which is kind of funny. They're not turning, not taking, uh, American credit. He needed a, needed a check, um, by, from a Chinese bank, you know. So that, that was interesting. But I think that, uh, China, this is the way, this is the way I think of it. China, the Chinese basically have two main areas where they put their savings. And one is real estate and the other is gold. And so there's a lot of worry now about the property market, even among, among the Chinese, and so they're turning more and more towards gold. And the U.S. and the Chinese government there actually you know, encourages gold use. We walked into you know, a Chinese bank, and you could just easily buy gold coins. You can even trade gold in your bank account. You can buy and sell it easily. So it's an entirely different culture. And when you what have is your, your, your long-term view on gold? I mean, it's had a big, big hit here, down from yeah. 1900 to 1500. But what is your long-term view on on the price of gold? I'm not worried about that. The short-term dip in gold, I think all the uh, elements that put gold in this bull market to begin with are still with us, and we have just huge expansions of Federal Reserve Bank's balance sheet and the EU's bank's balance sheet. There's a lot of money sloshing around, and uh, yeah, I think gold will continue to go higher. We'll probably get it. I think we'll see a new high before this gold market is over, gold bull market is over. Okay, then the next uh, in talk, uh, the country you talk about is India, where you say don't drink the tap water. I guess you've been there to, to see that. <laughs> yes. India similarly has a lot of opportunity, but, but danger as well. What is your outlook on India, and what are some specific ways to play it? Well, um, yeah, I like, I like India as another one of those long-term markets. I mean, when I was there, I spent some time with some Indian analysts, and we looked at a number of different companies there that were growing 20, 30, 40 percent a year for, and they've been growing at that rate for five, ten years or more. Uh, so it's just another market that's just, just really has a lot of opportunity. But it's one that's harder to invest in as an individual. I think that the, you know, you can buy, the main Indian companies on U.S. exchanges are things like Tata Motors and Infosys, and those I'm not really uh, as, as fond of. I think the best way to really dig in and get to those jewels of the Indian market is, is you have to go through a fund that uh, invests in those on your behalf because it's, you just you can't buy these. It's too difficult. So one fund I like is uh, the Quantum Mutual Fund family. And I know the chairman. I've met with them while they were there. and They've had good results over the years. And, and so in the book, I talk about ways to uh, contact them and, and check out more of those funds. I mean, there are some other lazier options. There's always the Wisdom Tree uh, India Earnings Fund, which has um, companies, I think, at least at $5 million in earnings. But that's another way to get exposure to a lot of companies that otherwise is impossible to do on your own. So you don't like the broad-based ETFs, the India Fund, and, and, or uh, those kind of things? No, I mean, not really. I mean, those funds, a lot of them are heavily weighted with the stuff that trades in the U.S. And um, I think the more interesting opportunities are some of the smaller cap companies that uh, that are really hard to buy. So in general, you're pretty cautious on India, even though it's growing a lot. Sure, yes. Okay, the next area you talk about is the Emirates uh, in, in the, the Gulf area. Um, you call them penthouse gypsies. So what are yeah. some of the investment opportunities in the Emirates? 
Well, what's key about the Emirates and Dubai specifically is that it's a place that's very friendly to foreign capital and investment. And so there it's attracted a, a mixture of people from all over the world who are there um, because um, that's where their capital is treated best. And I think that is the and will remain the financial center of the Middle East. And so uh, I believe oil prices are still going to stay strong and, and a lot of that money is going to flow back into Dubai. So it's a good example of kind of the thesis of the book. And, and as far as investment opportunities, the um, uh, Dubai stocks are very cheap because they, they had this huge run-up, which I talk about in the book, this, basically this real estate bubble that peaked in 07 and had a really horrific crash. But right now you can get some of these Dubai stocks very cheaply. And I talk about some ETFs and different companies in the book. Again, this is a market where it's not necessarily so easy to buy. You're going to have to uh, work with your broker a little bit. But um, there are some interesting opportunities there. What would be the catalyst for them? Because the impression of them is that they're still in the bust mode, that they, as you say, it was a real estate crash. Right. What would be the catalyst to make it turn around and start going up again? Well, I think just time is one thing that heals all these things because even though they've had this big property bust, you know, the money hasn't hasn't gone anywhere. People are still investing in Dubai. They're still holding their money there. Uh, I have a friend of mine who lives there. He just bought another villa. So, you know, slowly there are people who are stepping up to buy some of the bargains, and that's kind of what heals markets, right? Low prices is a cure for low prices. So. Um, the other catalyst, uh, the obvious catalyst, would be that if we have higher oil prices, um, that just sort of swells all the coffers of the Middle East, and and Dubai will certainly capture its piece of that. And, and what is your view on oil prices? Since again, those have been dropping recently, pretty sharply as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of neutral on oil prices. I think that um, because so much of oil is in hands of of uh, state-owned companies. And because the cost to produce oil has, has gone up so dramatically, I think we're probably, we probably have a reasonable floor somewhere around $90, I would say, or somewhere in the 80s. Uh, you know, not to say that the market can't blow through those floors in short, in short bursts, but, uh, longer term, I, I don't see us, uh, ever going back below that for any sustained period of time. So are there other uh, countries or companies in the Emirates in addition to Dubai that are, uh, are investable? Uh, not really, no. It's very, I mean, Emar Properties is the largest real estate company in the world, one of the largest, and that's a, a Dubai property company. But, again, it's not something that trades on the New York Stock Exchange. It's not, not that easy to buy. You have to work a little. <laughs> very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christopher Mayer, and his new book is called World Right Side Up, Investing Across Six Continents. He does have a website, which is worldrightsideup.com. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christopher Meyer. Uh, he is the uh, editor of a newsletter called Capital and Crisis, another one called Mayor's Special Situations, which you can find out more about the website dailyreckoning.com. He's also done a new book called World Right Side Up, Investing Across Six Continents. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks. Um, South Africa is another area that's quite well developed. You call it rainbow capitalism. What is the outlook in South Africa? Well, I, I like South Africa as kind of a, it's kind of the hub of that whole southern cone of Africa. And there's again, um, because uh, the resource boom has put a lot of money in people's pockets, and they've, you know, they've got a nice growing middle class. And I think there are a number of interesting opportunities there. And the way in the book I talk about, uh, I met with the money manager behind Africa Opportunity Fund, which lists in London, and you can buy just like a stock. But that's a uh, that's an interesting way to play South Africa, where most of the money is, but also places like Mozambique or Namibia and some of the other surrounding countries, which are just now uh, really starting to come onto their own. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you talk about Australia and New Zealand, much more developed countries. What is your outlook there? Yeah, I mean Australia, and New Zealand, um, they're really very different. I've put them together, but they're fairly <laughs> they're far apart. Um, I, I like what I talk about in the book. I, lo- I talk a lot about the uh, LNG opportunity there, uh, liquefied natural gas. They have some big finds off of the coast of Australia, uh, and there are some different um, uh, ways to get involved there. Um, and there's also uranium um, producers there. Uh, so those are the things I focus on in the book, uh, mainly to look at. One of the companies that is a good way to play the whole LNG thing, although it's not listed in, in Australia or New Zealand, is a company called Chart Industries, which makes a lot of the uh, hardware that goes in towards building the LNG export-import terminals. So that's, a, that's an interesting play on that theme. One of your favorite places around the world is Southeast Asia, uh, where you've been through Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Most people think that's the, the last place they'd want to invest, but you're quite enthusiastic about it. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, I love Southeast Asia. It's... Um, uh, again, this is just a, these are markets that have been 
some of these markets have been closed up and they're really growing leaps and bounds. I was particularly impressed with Cambodia, for example. I mean, just talk about a country that's had a, a horrific uh, recent history. Uh, but you go there and its population is young. I think the average age is 24 and they don't particularly care about uh, Pol Pot and what happened in the past. And They're interested in cell phones and motorcycles and blue jeans and, and uh, there's a nice lively uh, restaurant scene down by the river. I mean, it's a it really was a surprising place. Um, so how would you invest in Cambodia? Well, the best way is a company called Leopard Capital, and they have a uh, private equity fund down there in Cambodia, and they're investing in things like just basic businesses, things like breweries and um, seafood processing plants. And so, again, this is one that uh, Cambodia specifically is kind of difficult to invest in. Um, but it, again, serves to show the illustrate the basic thesis of the book, which is that you know so many of these markets are now joining the global marketplace in a way that they that, that they haven't for decades, and what the impact of that is. So, so Leopard Capital is a uh, exchange traded fund, or how can people invest in that company? Yeah, I mean Leopard Capital just have to uh, check out their website leopardasia.com and see you know what funds are open or not. It's not a listed fund. It's a closed fund. Um, you know, there are other ways I like in Southeast Asia, and I, I talk about some of them in the book, uh, particularly in, in, in Thailand. So, um, so, so know, what is the outlook? That's a there. more developed country. How, how is, what are some things you like in Thailand? Well, Thailand, one thing that I met, I met with Doug Barnett, who's the money manager at Thai, the Thai-focused equity fund, and he has a an amazing track record over the last uh, 20 years better than Warren Buffett's. I mean, it's really, he's really one of the most, uh, unheralded great investors around. And so I talk a lot about that in the fund and, and the opportunities that he's finding there in Thailand. But, you know, it's, it's a similar thing in all these markets. There are, there are some really cheap stocks and, uh, they have a lot of growth opportunities in front of them. So it's a, it's a good combination. And then Vietnam, which most people would think would be the last place you'd want to invest, what is the, Attraction of that, and how does one invest there? Well, Vietnam is one that I sort of pan more in the book. I mean, they're, um, they have some problems there with inflation. They have very high inflation. I think it's running 20% or so unofficially. And they have some, there's some credit problems in, in their banking system. And when I was there, a number of people, I went meeting with different investors and, and strategists. This was a, it was a big topic. So I suspect there'll be some really good opportunities to invest in Vietnam, um, but just not yet. If you did want to invest, how, how could is there? There is a Vietnam fund, I think, right? Are there other ways people to do that? Yeah, I mean there are Vietnam funds. I don't talk about any, and I can't think of any one that I particularly like, you know, off the uh, top of my head. But and you know, one of the resources in the book that I share is uh, the um, how to get the investment research of Viet Capital Securities, and they cover a number of different stocks, and and a lot of that research is free. And so, you know, that's one of the things I tried to do in this book. It wasn't that I was looking to compile necessarily a list of stock picks or anything, but I really wanted to tell readers and paint a picture of what it was like to be in these different markets and to share with them a lot of resources, people that they could contact or places they could go to find more information uh, and invest in it. So I think... Uh, and the Southeast Asia chapter in particular has some really good resources at the end uh, to people to contact to invest in these areas. Some other places around the world, uh, Mongolia. What is the outlook in Mongolia and how does one invest there? 
And Mongolia is one of the emerging markets that I've become most excited about recently. And uh, basically, you have two giant mines coming online, a lot of money flowing into a very small market. And we've had some precedents for precedent for this happening before. Uh, Kazakhstan was one that was very similar as a former Soviet state that also had a resource boom, and I think Mongolia is having the same kind of thing. So Mongolia Growth Group is a listed company, and that's probably the best way to play it. Uh, they own uh, mostly real estate in downtown Ulaanbaatar, and I'm actually headed there next month, so uh, <laughs> I'll have more to say soon. <laughs> then you have Russia, which is certainly part of the BRIC uh, countries. What is your outlook for investing in Russia? Yeah, Russia is a uh, basically a proxy for oil. I think if you can you can buy the RTS, which is publicly traded and easy proxy, um, probably will do pretty well over the long haul. I mean, the opinion on on Russia by the consensus is generally pretty low, but um, you know, my sources on the ground basically point that this is a decently functioning uh, middle European country, and I think uh, there'll be some good opportunities there. And then you talk about Turkey. Turkey's had some very hot years and very cold years. Yeah. Uh, what is your, your view going forward in Turkey? Turkey is hot and cold. I, I like some of the oil and gas in Turkey. They have a lot of uh, millions and millions of acres of virtually untapped areas. And so uh, um, there's a company I talk about in the book called Transatlantic Petroleum, and that's probably the best way um, to invest in Turkey's energy story. Um, Malone Mitchell is the CEO there. He owns most of the shares, and he's a proven company builder. And they've got they've got millions of acres, and as stocks been really beat up. And so, uh, I like that as a as a play on Turkey. Um, a more developed country you have a little chapter on is Canada, which you call the the breadbasket. What is your view on on Canada? Yeah, I mean Canada, I, I think is in a good spot. And and the Canada chapter, I focus mo- mainly on Saskatchewan, which is. Um, a province in Canada that's focused more on uh, a lot of resources there, and in a sense, it's its own emerging market because it was a closed market for most of uh, only until the last decade or so. It was really opened up to investment. So there are a lot of interesting companies in Canada, and I talk about some of them in the book, like Alliance Grain Traders, which basically um, trades beans and lentils and things like that, or Canadian Natural Resources, which is a really good oil company, uh, and Brookfield. Asset management, which owns um, property and hydroelectric dams. So these are there's lots of ways, of course, to invest in Canada. Terrific. Those are some of my favorites. Very good. Well, we've had quite a quick tour around the world. We've seen a lot of the things. Again, Chris Meyer has been my guest on the show. Uh, his new book is called World Right Side Up: Investing Across Six Continents. The website to find out more about that is WorldRightSideUp.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Christopher. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.